Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. It is such a joy to be able to share the word with you amazing people this morning. We're so grateful for you guys. I thank the Lord for you often. Um, As Bill said, we're going to start a new series today. It's a three-week series on God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so together, we are going to look at who God is and just be amazed and transformed as we behold him. All right. So the word Trinity is often used to describe our God who is three in one. And this was a term coined by an early Christian writer And it means the tripleness of God. It's not actually a word in the Bible, but it's helpful to describe our God. Three persons or faces of one God. And this three-in-one concept is foundational for Christian faith. All three are co-equal, eternal persons within the same whole or body make up God. They work in perfect harmony. There's no competition or comparison between them. And so if one is acting out in power, then the other isn't like feeling insecure suddenly. They are fully um, unified. And while they do have different roles, they have the same goal and the same nature. Now, have you ever struggled to explain this concept to someone? Uh, a friend and I, a friend and I were talking this week about, you know, when you're sharing the gospel with someone and you're like, God is three in one. And, and so I thought of this um, way that, that can really help us because it's something we're very familiar with. Think about water. Water is water, whether it's in solid form, liquid form, or gas form. It's still H2O no matter what form it's in. So there's a little helpful analogy. Um, and so the Bible talks about how each three is God. The father is God in Philippians one, two, the son is God in Titus two thirteen, and the Holy spirit is God in acts five, three and four. And you can read those later. And there's a couple of places that show the three in interaction, which is really cool. Cause then you can see their different roles, but their unified goal. So one is at um, Jesus' baptism. Um, Jesus is being baptized. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit alights on him in the form of a dove. So they are distinct from one another, but they are one. They're not three separate gods. Um, Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Another example would be the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus is telling his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Yes, so each one is mentioned, each is important. Yes, so um, today our focus is on the Father. However, everything I talk about in the Father's character 
is also true about the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in essence, we're talking about them too today. Well, we're focusing a little bit more on the role of the Father, okay? All right, now if I were to ask you, who is God? What is he like? Did you know that your answer to that question actually defines you? Even more than your gender or your identity or the town you grew up in or the college you went to or how much money you have, people do what they do because of what they believe about God. This is radical and so true. So the terrorist who does some horrible act does what he does because of what he believes about God. Okay, the, the Hindu who sacrifices a goat to Shiva does what he does because of what he believes about God. The African witch doctor who sacrifices a little boy does what he does because of what he believes about God. The Catholic nun who gives up her normal life to live in poverty and help the community does what she does. Mm-hmm. The army sniper who prays to God before he takes his shot Good, Bill. The, here, I, I wanted to sink in. The gay singer who thanks God for his song about his one-night stand does what he does. Yes. So clearly what we think about who God is matters. It directly impacts how we act. So who is God really? We can learn the true answer by going to the source. The Bible and this is a great big story about God and his relationship with people. And throughout this story, we get to see who God is. One prominent place where this happens is in Exodus 34. We encounter this conversation between God and Moses. Moses is asking for God to go with the Israelites every step of the journey. We don't want to go without you, God. And at one point, Moses asks, now show me your glory. Now to see God, to ask to see his glory is to ask to see his person. He's saying, I, knowing about you isn't enough. I want to experience you. I want to see you in person is what he's saying. So God graciously tells Moses, well, you can't see my face or you will die for no one can see my face and live, but I'll do you one better, Moses. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord Yahweh in your presence. So the next morning, Moses climbs up Mount Sinai. When then we read one of the most profound paragraphs in the Bible. Let's turn to it. Exodus 34, 4 through 7. Exodus 34. Four through seven. This is one of the few places in the Bible where God is describing himself, you guys. He's saying, This is what I'm like. It's also the most, um, it's the section of scripture that is most quoted in scripture, like 
scripture quoting itself is this passage. It is the baseline for a theology of God. May this be what defines us. Okay. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord Yahweh had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, although everybody was invited up to this encounter on the mountain, only Moses had the courage to step into the cloud. So I want us to start this morning with Moses's prayer. Show us your glory. Would you guys just all your cl close your eyes right now and, and say, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory, God. We want to know you. We want to see you in person. Just learning facts about you isn't enough. We want to know you truly. All right, so we're going to go line by line through this and see who God really is. First, the Lord the Lord. That's Yahweh, Yahweh. God has a personal name, guys. He doesn't just have a title. And in the Bible, a name was very important. <clears throat> it indicated one's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or their destiny they were meant to fulfill. So think of Abraham. He was originally called Abram which means exalted father, but Yahweh renames him Abraham after making this promise to him. I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Abraham means father of many nations. It's a new identity for him, a new destiny. So when Yahweh says, I'll proclaim my name to you, he's saying, Moses, I'll let you in on the deepest reality of what makes me, me. See, God is so relational. He's not an impersonal energy force. He's not a chapter in a theology textbook. He wants to relate to people just like you and me. And in fact, the Bible is screaming from cover to cover, know me for who I am. God wants, us, wants people to see him for who he is. So he reveals himself through history, through creations, through, through creation, through his interaction with other people. He reveals himself to you. He's waving this banner. This is who I am. All right. The compassionate and gracious God. Okay, imagine being on the edge of your seat, leaning in to hear what is God's most dominant characteristic that he's going to share about himself? What's he going to say first? And in fact, in Hebrew literature, 
that what you said first was most important. Okay, so what's most important? The most important is compassionate and gracious. All right, so this is what these amazing words mean. Compassionate, rahum, is usually translated merciful. It's merciful. It comes from a root word meaning female womb. So it's the feeling a mother has toward an infant child. This word is found in other places in Isaiah 49, 15, and 16. The word says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no rahum on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, the Lord says. And again, in Psalm 103, 13, as a father has rahum on his children, so the Lord Yahweh has rahum on those who fear him. So it's how a parent feels toward their child. Now, some people have never had the experience, the personal experience of a compassionate parent. Maybe your dad was always mad at you, just waiting for you to screw up so he could whip you. Maybe your mom was critical or condescending. You were never smart enough, athletic enough, pretty enough. Or maybe your parents just weren't around. <clears throat> leaving you to grow up on your own or left you to live in an abusive environment. So the idea of Yahweh being compassionate is hard to believe way down in here. If that's you, there is great hope for you today. As David says in Psalm 2710, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. For a word of the Lord for you today, if that's you, the Lord will receive you. His arms are wide open. He wants to heal you, and he has the ability to heal you and make you completely new, completely satisfied, completely loved by a perfect parent. Now, for others of you, the rahum of, of God connects deeply in your soul because maybe you were given that example and especially it connects if you're a parent yourself. You know there is, a, there is no love as fierce as that of a mother or father for a child. It's quite possibly the fiercest type of love there is. And that's how God feels about you. Gracious, chanun, it's an action word. It means to show grace or favor. It's something you do. So um, hanun, to hanun somebody is to help them out in their time of need, okay? So make an example in Exodus is um, where God's laying out his commands. He says, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am Hanun. So here, gracious has to do with interest rates on a loan and consideration for the poor in this example. And sometimes the reality of God being compassionate and gracious 
can get a little lost in the midst of all the gore of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of war. There's a lot of crazy things we read. But underneath it all, he is constantly at work to rescue and save. He is constantly being compassionate and gracious. Jonah is a great story of this. I'm going to tell you how. This is awesome. Okay, so Yahweh comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they had been at war with the Israelites for centuries on and off. Now, archaeologists found a Ninevite library, and this is some crazy stuff. One king said this about a city he had just destroyed, a pyramid of heads. Are there any kids in here? Just be, okay. A pyramid of heads I reared in front of the city. Their youths and maidens I burned up in the flames. Then another king says this about a king he defeated. I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. Generations later, a king said this about a king he had just defeated. I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. Okay, these were not nice people. Can Can you see why Jonah was reluctant to go do a church plant there? Okay, so eventually Jonah comes to the city and he preaches this one sentence message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. One sentence. Can you believe that? Okay. Yahweh is going to kill you is what he's saying. Okay, so in a shocking twist, the Ninevites repent. They turn away from the worship of other gods and the violence and the injustice that comes along with worshiping other gods. And they turn to the worship of Yahweh, the creator. Even the king repents. And then we read, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Look at how ready his mercy and grace was. But Jonah's upset. I mean, you might think Jonah would be happy, but no, he's quite upset. And he said, this is why I didn't want to come. And he quotes Exodus 34 back to God. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Yahweh, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, Jonah is not pleased that God was gracious and compassionate to his enemies. It's much easier to love it when God is merciful to us and our friends. But what about when he's merciful to our enemies? For Jonah, God was merciful to people whose kings had done terrible things to people. What about when God shows mercy to people who've hurt you or put you down or gossiped behind your back or abandoned you? That's the thing about Yahweh. He's gracious and compassionate to everybody. 
It's so tempting to want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else, but it doesn't work like that. God is poised to show mercy to all. Now, throughout the Bible, God's people were to emulate God so that others could know what he's like. As God's family, us, we're called to be imitators of God's grace and compassion so that the world sees these attributes of God in your life, in my life. So Jonah had trouble with God's mercies toward enemies. Who are your enemies? What would it look like for you to show them mercy? Start with this, forgive them. Even if they're not sorry, it doesn't matter. You just release them from your thirst for justice, your desire for them to have justice. And you trust that God's going to take care of the justice and the mercy in the perfect balance, in his perfect way, because he's the perfect judge and we're not. And then pray for them to experience God's mercy. Okay, who are the people that you have daily opportunities to show mercy to? Everybody? Yes, good. Family members, yep. Yes. Yeah, yep. Mm. Okay, so I'm sorry for the people on the live stream. They're saying um, people in traffic, grocery store employees, coworkers, at home, at church. Anybody else? The president. Good. The um, our our uh, people at the gym. Just anybody we come across. Okay. And usually it's people who annoy you the most. But guys, difficult people are never going to be hard to find. But every time you see them, it's your opportunity to be like God and show them mercy. Now, if you have one of these on your finger, you have a daily opportunity to show mercy to your spouse and to receive mercy from your spouse. Marriage is the art of learning to forgive again and again and again. When your spouse annoys you or screws up, do you show mercy? And that's not a self-evaluation question. You should ask your spouse, do I show you mercy when you get under my skin? All right, parents, every day we have the chance to show mercy. One of the most important jobs we have is to show our kids the character of Yahweh. If you love them well, it's much easier for them to believe in a God who is compassionate. But if you're cranky and you're always biting their heads off and then tell them they're gr that they have a gracious father, how well will that compute? If you don't have kids or you're single, maybe the people you have a daily opportunity to show mercy to um, is your sibling or your friend or your roommate or your parents. In Luke 15, Jesus shares his view of the Father's mercy. What another amazing glimpse into um, the reality of the Father's mercy. The prodigal son has done everything imaginable to break his father's heart. But the Father's compassion is humongous. 
He's the kind dad who sees his wayward son on the horizon and goes running out to meet him, subjecting himself to shame among the community instead of his son. He eagerly wraps his son up against his chest. For Jesus, God is a deeply loving, merciful parent. Now I want to share with you one man's revelation about mercy and his struggle to show it. And maybe you'll relate to him. He says, as God's children, it's our job to represent our father to the world. The world needs a lot of mercy. For some people, it's their gift. In Romans, Paul writes that if your gift is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Some people, like my wife, have an uncanny talent for mercy. She is compassionate and gracious by nature. It's hardwired in her personality. Me, on the other hand, well, I don't have that gift. Part of it is just my personality. I'm driven and impatient. I think fast and move faster. So in my weaker moments, I can easily come off as curt or dismissive, or as Jesus would say, unmerciful. But it also has to do with my view of God. Oh, I know that God is gracious and compassionate, but at a subconscious level, part of me still feels like God is angry with me. Like I'm a frustration or a disappointment or a screw up, and I need to earn his love. Maybe it comes from my church upbringing. Maybe it's from a traumatic event from my childhood. Maybe it's my personality. I'm projecting my own wiring onto God. I don't know. But there in my gut, I live with a nagging sense that I need to get my act together, work harder, do more, be better, earn my keep, take it up a notch, and quit screwing around. Where does that come from? Not from God. Slowly but surely, I'm learning that God is merciful. Most of my education in this graduate program started nine years ago when my son was born. I finally started to understand how God feels about me. The little guy had done nothing but cry and poop and cost money and steal my wife's sanity and keep me up all night. But I couldn't stop kissing him. I was a fire hydrant with a blown cap, a torrent of loving emotions all pouring out of my heart. And if this is how I feel, can you imagine how God feels about his children? Compassionate and gracious. He continues to reveal himself. He says he is slow to anger. Or that means he rules his spirit. To rule one's spirit is to have control over feelings of frustration and anger. Now, you can make God mad, but you're going to have to work hard at it because he doesn't have a temper. He's not volatile. He's patient and long-suffering. Now, he does get angry, really mad sometimes. In fact, the Bible talks about the wrath of God over 600 times. He feels angry over the evil in the world. But Yahweh's anger is from a parent-like love toward a child, like the way a parent would be angry at a drug dealer for selling drugs to his child, or the way a parent would get angry at a child who keeps running out in the middle of the street. Where human anger is usually unjust 
and disproportionate to the offense. You know, the tendency can be when someone gives you a black eye, you give two black eyes back. Well, that's revenge, not justice. In God, the punishment fits the crime. There's a justice we can't match. Our anger tends to flare up quickly, right? It, doesn't, it often doesn't wait for the whole story to come out. It often doesn't give a second chance. Whereas Yahweh's anger patiently waits, it builds up to the right time and place. So get this, God gets angry, but his baseline is compassion and gracious, slow to anger. When he wakes up in the morning, he doesn't think, do I feel like being gracious today? Do I, do I want to be patient today? He's automatically those things. Okay, so remember our story about the Ninevites? We left off with Jonah pouting and the Ninevites alive and well. <clears throat> okay, well, fast forward 150 years later. Tragically, the Ninevites have turned back to evil. Yahweh's patience has finally reached its limit. Nahum writes, the Lord Yahweh takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord Yahweh is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Again, referring back to Exodus 34. Now, while God's nature is slow to anger, there comes a time when he says enough is enough. No more violence, no more injustice, no more killing, no more raping, no more stealing, no more enslaving. I've had it with evil, you're done. So Nineveh does get completely destroyed, actually, by, Babel, by Babylon. And there's still only rubble left to this day. He goes on to explain who he is. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. That means loyal love. Unfailing, steadfast love. Love you can rely on. The way it's set up um, in the um, like literary sense, these words are set up to help define each other. So to truly understand it, you have to understand them together. So God's love is faithful, and God's faithfulness is his love. Now, <clears throat> God being faithful doesn't mean we won't experience suffering, Right? God being faithful also doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is the will of God. Our hope is that no matter what happens to us, Jesus is alive, anything is possible. The resurrection screams, God is bigger than evil, stronger than death. And one day Jesus will return and set everything right. How are we doing at emulating this aspect of God's nature? Are you faithful? In a world of instant gratification, sometimes faithfulness is devalued. But usually the best things in life are the result of faithfulness. Long obedience in the same direction. That's faithfulness. Years, decades of faithfulness will produce some of the most rewarding things. He goes on, maintaining love to thousands. That means that he guards and protects love. 
forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Okay, so uh, forgiveness doesn't start with Jesus' ministry in the New Testament. It's throughout the whole Bible, flowing out of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what does Yahweh forgive? Wickedness, which is any kind of bad behavior. Rebellion, this is a legal word. It means to break the law, a violation of God's commands. And sin simply means to miss the mark. It was not a moral word in Moses' time. It simply means to mess up. So Yahweh covers it all. He doesn't just forgive, guys. He is forgiving. It grows out of his character. He doesn't reluctantly forgive sins. He eagerly anticipates it. Each day, who can I forgive today? <clears throat> okay, the counterpart to this forgiving nature of God is what comes next. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So Yahweh is simultaneously just. He doesn't just let the guilty off the hook. God's end goal is a world with no evil. And don't we just ache for deep justice just in our bones? We, whenever we hear of a terrible scandal or whenever we hear of an act of racist violence or we hear of a child murdered in its mother's womb, Every time we see evil, there's this gut-level pain that cries out, will somebody do something about this, please? Right now, Yahweh's justice is just a trickle. But one day it will turn into a river. Like the prophet Amos said, let justice roll on like a river. When Jesus comes, he will bring evil to its knees forever. And because Yahweh is forgiving, we don't need to dread Jesus' return. Christ is going to come again. And um, we don't need to dread it because we can take our wickedness, our sin, and our rebellion straight to the cross in repentance and give it to Jesus. And he is poised, ready to forgive you. He takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. What an exchange. That's the exchange that happens at the cross. Have you made that exchange? If you have not made that exchange, do it today. Why carry your sins any longer? All sin must be paid for. And if Jesus doesn't pay for it, then you have to pay for it. He's, he's uh, arms wide open, ready to forgive. You just have to come to him. All right, let's keep going. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Wait, what? God's going to do what to kids? Okay, whenever you get to something like that in the Bible where you go, huh? We have to deal with it by asking questions and studying and wrestling, but in the end, hopefully saying yes to it. We talked about this in the last series, and if you didn't um, hear it, you can go on to our website and listen. It's called Faith Renovation and spends three weeks talking about this in detail. I'm just touching on it briefly today. Guys, we don't get to pick and choose with Scripture. We come under the authority of all of it. 
as we submit to Jesus as Lord. If we don't do this process, what we end up with is a, what we end up with is a God we made up who isn't real. Or this is maybe even worse, you end up with a God who is real but isn't the one true God, the type of God who plays to your desires only to turn on you when you get hooked. So as we study and wrestle and get to know Yahweh's character, we discover that who he is is so much better than we ever imagined. That's the end of the study when you really dig in. Okay, so three things. Um, And and really going into this concept of of, um, the effect of the generational sins and things is a whole sermon of its own, but I'm just going to speak to it briefly. Number one, parents' sin has consequences for their children's future. Okay, the kids wandered behind mom and dad for 40 years in the wilderness because of their parents' sin. Yahweh is forgiving, sin is not. It's cruel and has consequences. Also, sin seems to run in the family. And and you um, can see it, and it patterns in a family line where a particular sin or two is just present in that family line. It's almost like a DNA inheriting the same color eyes. It's called inherited iniquity. It's a tendency to sin in the same way. It's not a requirement that you will, but there is an easier tendency. And that's a dynamic in play. And last thing I want to say about it, this teaches us Yahweh's not going to stop working to eradicate sin from your family line till it's completely gone. His goal is to get it out. Now, here's the good news. We can break free from sin, even sin that runs back for generations. We don't have to repeat the same mistakes. We can get off the hamster wheel. And this is how you do it. You repent for your part in the particular sin that is a theme in your family. You repent, sorry, God, and for the ways that I have acted this out. And then you can repent on behalf of your family line. I stand in the gap for my family and Lord, I just confess on behalf of my family, this is wrong. And I, in, um, as a representation, I bow my knee before you. Will you forgive us? Place the cross of Jesus into my family bloodline that this will no longer affect us. It's very powerful. So this is actually um, one of the prayer topics that our H&R, te- our healing and restoration team prays through with people. So if this is touching on something that you would like uh, someone to guide you through and help you through, um, you can meet with somebody from our healing and restoration team. The first step in doing that is um, in the spinning display in the foyer is a little packet called healing and restoration tells you what to do there. All right, but we can be free from that. All right, so the last thing I want to say is... um, Do you need mercy personally? Do you need God's mercy today? Just go to the Father. Ask for grace. Run to him like a child runs to their father when he gets home from work. That's what it looks like to confidently approach the throne of grace.
So no matter where you've been or what you've been doing recently, the Father is already running towards you with arms wide open. And so in closing, what I want to do this morning is just blanket you in the love of the Father. Justin, would you come and just play like some ministry instrumental for us? Thank you. And so what I'm going to do is just uh, read over you guys scripture that is the Father God expressing his love to you, his child. And what I want you to do, church, is soak it in. Soak it in way down here. Let it begin to erase what we believe from our experiences. And get settled in the truth. So lean back in your chair. Settle down into your chair. Tip your head back if you want. Close your eyes. Get comfortable. And hear how much God loves you. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. There is no one like the God of Israel who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. There's no one like him who rides across the heavens to help you. Just picture that. He's riding across the clouds to help you. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are everlasting arms. His everlasting arms are underneath you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because he's transparent and honest with you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, 
I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. like Moses didn't want to just know about God he wanted to experience who he really is in person that's our desire too God so thank you for revealing your glory to us today you are the perfect father and we're so grateful to be your kids help the reality of who you are, define how we live our lives. Help us soak in every part of the truth of who you are, who you say you are. Let it affect every cell of our being. Let it affect every painful memory from our past. Let it affect our hopes and dreams for our future. And then let us be an example of those character traits to others so that you could reveal yourself to them too. Thank you, God. We love you and we're so grateful. Amen. Thanks, Mary Lee. Well, as we wrap up today, prayer and rhema ministry is available for you. If you'd like to maybe press in a little more to what God is speaking or doing or have someone come alongside you for any prayer needs, see them. And uh, man, this is an important message today for us to get. This is, this is core New Day values, DNA right here is understanding God as a loving father, learning to see that and be rooted in that rather than our own experience. Does that make sense? You have to actually, right? We talked about faith renovation the last few weeks. This is a major point of renovation, what you believe about God, not when you write down your theological beliefs, but in day-to-day practice, you know? Does, does it spill out of you that you you're all alone and you've got to get it figured out? Does it spill out of you that like, oh, the other shoe's going to drop and dad's going to get mad at me? You know, if those things are spilling out of you, you got to renovate that. You got to uproot the lies, plant seeds of truth like Marilee taught us about this morning, what God is like, experience him, and good things will grow.
that's been my experience in New Day. <laughs> it's why I am where I am and why uh, I experienced so much of his goodness is just through doing that. You got to get a revelation of it. So I encourage you to do that. Would you stand up and uh, greet one another once again? Have a great week this week. Go figure out what God is like to you as father and be Christ in your community. We'll see you next week. <laughs>